There are more than 300 episodes of Listen to Sleep, all available for free because of the generous support of our sponsors. And while you'll never hear any ads after the story or meditation starts, you can get every episode ad-free, plus over 100 bonus episodes, all for less than the price of one cup of coffee a month by going to listentosleep.com and clicking on support. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, it's Eric, welcoming you back to the tranquil sanctuary of Listen to Sleep. Together, we embark on a journey where stories morph into tranquil lullabies, and dreams begin to glimmer like stars reflected on a still, moonlit lake. I have some news to share with you, and I hope you'll join me in embracing a new chapter for Listen to Sleep. When I began this journey over four years ago now, I had dreams of making Listen to Sleep my full-time occupation. And while it may not have reached that point, it has become something even more special, a deep connection with all of you. Your support and love for the stories and meditations have filled my heart with gratitude, and I want to continue creating them for you. However, I also have to honor my life's work with Awaken Your Myth, which now requires more of my time and devotion. So, with a mix of nostalgia and excitement, I'm announcing a shift in our schedule starting September 1st. We'll be moving from two episodes a week to one, alternating between a new original story and a new original meditation each week. And what better way to mark this transition than by ending this chapter 
the way it began, with the last story in the book, In the Days of Giants. The very first episode of Listen to Sleep in July of 2019 was the first story in that book. And it feels like a beautiful full circle. Now, it is a bit darker than the stories I've been telling you lately. So for all the Viking Tale fans out there, this one is definitely for you. But if you're a bit squeamish and you've gotten used to my original stories, you might want to just go back to one of your favorites and know that I'll be back next week with another soothing original story. I hope you understand this change and continue to find joy, relaxation, and inspiration and listen to sleep. Your presence on this journey means the world to me, and I'm excited to keep sharing my original stories and meditations with you. And if you love the show and you'd like to get access to all of the over 400 ad-free stories and meditations that I've created over the past four years, including eight full-length sleepy audiobooks that are only available to subscribers. It's just $4.99 a month on the subscription version of the podcast, Listen to Sleep Plus. For more details, you can visit listentosleep.com or follow the link in the show notes. Let's take a deep breath in and out. Just letting go of the day, feeling the weight of gravity pulling you deep down into the mattress. Another deep breath in and out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to be. This is your time, quiet time. One more deep breath in and out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. The Punishment of Loki After the death of Balder, the world grew so dreary that no one had any heart left for work or play. The Aesir sat about moping and miserable. They were growing old. There was no doubt about that. There was no longer any gladness in Valhalla, where the Valkyries waited on tables and poured the foaming mead. There was no longer any mirth on Ida Plain, where every morning the bravest of Earth heroes fought their battles over again. Odin no longer had any pleasure 
in the daily news brought by his wise ravens, thought and memory. Nor did Freya enjoy her falcon dress. Frey forgot to sail in his ship, Skidbladnir, and even Thor had almost wearied of his hammer, except as he hoped that it would help him to catch Loki. For the one thought of all of them now was to find and punish Loki. Yet they waited, for Queen Frigg had sent a messenger to Queen Hela to find if they might not even yet win Balder back from the kingdom of death. Odin shook his head. Queen Hela is Loki's daughter, he said, and she will not let Balder return. But Frigg was hopeful. She had employed a trusty messenger whose silver tongue had won many hearts against their will. It was Hermod, Balder's brother, who galloped down the steep road to Hela's kingdom on Sleipnir, the eight-legged horse of Father Odin. For nine nights and nine days he rode, through valleys dark and chill, until he came to a bridge which is paved with gold. And here, the maiden, Moodgard, told him that Balder had passed that way and showed him the path northward to Hela's city. So he rode down and down until he came to the high wall which surrounded the grim palace where Hela reigned. Hermod dismounted and tightened the saddle girths of gray Sleipnir, whose eight legs were as frisky as ever, despite the long journey. And when he had mounted once more, the wonderful horse leaped with him over the wall, twenty feet high at least. Then Hermod rode straight into the palace of Hela, straight up to the throne where she sat surrounded by gray shadows and spirit people. She was a dreadful creature to see. Yet she was not so bad as she looked, for even Hela felt kindly towards Balder, whom her father had slain, and was sorry that the world had lost so dear a friend. So, when her mood begged her to let his brother return with him to Asgard, she said, very gently, Freely would I let him go, brave her mood, if I might. 
but a queen cannot always do as she likes, even in her own kingdom. His life must be bought. The price must be paid in tears. If everything upon earth will weep for Baldur's death, then may he return, bringing light and happiness to the upper world. Should one creature fail to weep, Baldur must remain with me. Then her mood was glad, for he felt sure that this price was easily paid. He thanked Hela and made ready to depart with the hopeful message. Before he went away, he saw and spoke with Balder himself, who sat with Nana upon a throne of honor, talking of the good times that used to be. And Balder gave him the ring Draupnir to give back to Father Odin as a remembrance from his dear son, while Nana sent to Mother Frigg her silver veil with other rich presents. It was hard for Hermud to part with Balder once again, and Balder also wept to see him go. But Hermud was in duty bound to bear the message back to Asgard as swiftly as might be. Now, when the Asir heard from Hermud this news, they sent messengers forth over the whole world to bid every creature weep for Baldur's death. Heimdall galloped off upon gold top, and Frey upon gold bristle, his famous hog. Thor rumbled away in his goat chariot, and Freya drove her team of cats, all spreading the message in one direction and another. There really seemed little need for them to do this, for already there was mourning in every land and clime. Even the sky was weeping, and the flower eyes were filled with dewy tears. So it seemed likely that Balder would be ransomed after all, and the Asir began to hope more strongly. For they had not found one creature who refused to weep. Even the giants of Jutenheim were sorry to lose the gentle fellow who had never done them any harm and freely added their giant tears to the salt rivers that were coursing over all the world into the sea, making it still more salt. It was not until the messengers had nearly reached home, 
joyful in the surety that Balder was safe, that they found an ugly old giantess named Thokt hidden in a black cavern among the mountains. Weep, mother, weep. But the sulky old woman refused to weep. Balder is nothing to me, she said. I care not whether he lives or dies. Let him bide with Hela. He is out of mischief there. I weep dry tears for Balder's death. So all the work of the messengers was in vain because of this one old obstinate woman. So all the tears of the sorrowing world were shed in vain. Because there were lacking two salty drops from the eyes of Thokt, they could not buy back Balder from the prison of death. When the messengers returned and told Odin their sad news, he was wrathful. Do you not guess who the old woman was? he cried. It was Loki, Loki himself, disguised as a giantess. He has tricked us once more, and for a second time has slain Balder for us, for it is now too late. Balder can never return to us after this. But it shall be the last of Loki's mischief. It is now time that we put an end to his deeds of shame. Come, my brothers, shouted Thor, flourishing his hammer. We have wept and mourned long enough. It is now time to punish. Let us hasten back to Thought's cave and seize Loki as quickly as may be. So they hurried back into the mountains where they had left the giantess who would not weep. But when they came to the place, the cave was empty. Loki was too sharp a fellow to sit still and wait for punishment to overtake him. He knew very well that the Aesir would soon discover who Thokt really was, and he had taken himself off to a safer place to escape the questions which a whole world of not too gentle folk were anxious to ask him. The one desire of the Aesir was now to seize and punish Loki. So when they were unable to find him as easily as they expected, they were wroth indeed. Why had he left the cave? 
Whither had he gone? In what new disguise even now was he lurking, perhaps close by? The truth was that when Loki found himself at war with the whole world which he had injured, he fled away into the mountains, where he had built a strong castle of rocks. This castle had four doors, one looking to the north, one to the south, one to the east, and one to the west, so that Loki could keep watch in all directions and see any enemy who might approach. Besides this, he had for his protection the many disguises which he knew so well how to don. Near the castle was a river and a waterfall, and it was Loki's favorite game to change himself into a spotted pink salmon and splash about in the pool below the fall. Hey-ho, let them try to catch me here if they can, he would chuckle to himself. And indeed, it seemed as if he were safe enough. One day, Loki was sitting before the fire in his castle, twisting together threads of flax and yarn into a great fishing net which was his own invention. For no one had ever before thought of catching fish with a net. Loki was a clever fellow, and with all his faults, for this one thing at least, the fishermen of today ought to be grateful to him. As Loki sat, busily knotting the meshes of the net, he happened to glance out of the south door. And there were the Asir coming in a body up the hill towards his castle. Now this is what happened. From his lookout throne in Asgard, Odin's keen sight had spied Loki's retreat. This throne, you remember, was in the house with a silver roof which Odin had built in the very beginning of time. And whenever he wanted to see what was going on in the remotest corner of Asgard, or to spy into some secret place beyond the sight of gods or men, he would mount this magic throne, whence his eye could pierce the thick mountains and sound the deepest sea. So it was that the Asir had found out Loki's castle, well hidden though it was among the furthest mountains of the world. They had come to catch him, and there was nothing left for him but to run. Loki jumped up and threw his half-mended net 
into the fire, for he did not want the Asir to discover his invention. Then he ran down to the river and leaped in with a great splash. When he was well under water, he changed himself into a salmon and flickered away to bask in his shady pool and think how safe he was. By this time, the Asir had entered his castle and were poking among the ashes, which they found smoldering on the hearth. What is this? asked Thor, holding up a piece of knotted flax which was not quite burned. The knave has been making something with little cords. Let me see it, said Heimdall, the wisest of the Asir. He who once upon a time had suggested Thor's clever disguise for winning back his hammer from the giant Thrym. He took now the little scrap of fish net and studied it carefully, picking out all the knots and twists of it. It is a net, said Heimdall at last. He has been making a net, and oof, it smells of fish. The fellow must have used it to trap fish for his dinner, though I never before heard of such a device. I saw a big splash in the river just as we came up, said Thor, the keen-eyed. A very big splash indeed. It seemed too large for any fish. It was Loki, declared Heimdall. He must have been here but a moment since, for this fire has just gone out, and the net is still smoldering. That shows he did not wish us to find this newfangled idea of his. Why was that? Let me think. Aha, I have it. Loki has changed himself into a fish and did not want us to discover the means of catching him. Oh, cried the Asir regretfully. If only we had another net. We can make one, said wise Heimdall. I know how it is done, for I have studied out this little sample. Let us make a net to catch the slyest of all the fish. Let us make a net for Loki, echoed the Asir and they all sat down, cross-legged on the floor, to have a lesson in net-weaving from Heimdall. He found hemp cord in a cupboard, and soon they had contrived a goodly net, big enough to catch several Lokis, if they should have a good fisherman's luck. They dragged the net to the river and cast it in. Thor, being the strongest, held one end of the net, 
and all the rest drew the other end up and down the stream. They were clumsy and awkward, for they had never used a net before and did not know how to make the best of it. But presently Thor exclaimed, Ha! I have felt some live thing touch the meshes. So did we, cried the others. It must be Loki. And Loki it was, sure enough. For the Asir had happened upon the very pool where the great salmon lay basking so peacefully. But when he felt the net touch him, he darted away and hid in a cleft between two rocks. So that, although they dragged the net to and fro again and again, they could not catch Loki in its meshes, for the net was so light that it floated over his head. We must wait the net, said Heimdall wisely. Then nothing can pass beneath it. So they tied heavy stones all along the under edge, and again they cast the net a little below the waterfall. Now Loki had seized the chance to swim further down the stream. But ugh, suddenly he tasted salt water. He was being swept out to sea. That would never do, for he could not live an hour in the sea. So he swam back and leaped straight over the net up into the waterfall, hoping that no one had noticed him. But Thor's sharp eyes had spied the flash of pink and silver, and Thor came running to the place. He is here, he shouted. Cast in the net above the fall, we have him now. When Loki saw the net cast again, so that there was no choice for him but to be swept back over the falls and out to sea, or to leap the net once more still further up the river, he hesitated. He saw Thor in the middle of the stream wading towards him. But behind him was sure death. So he set his teeth, and once more he leaped the net. There was a huge splash, a scuffle, a scramble, and the water was churned into froth all about Thor's feet. He was struggling with the mighty fish. He caught him once, but the salmon slipped through his fingers. He caught him again, and this time Thor gripped hard. The salmon almost escaped, but Thor's big fingers kept hold of the end of his tail, and he flapped and flopped in vain. It was the grip of Thor's iron glove, and that is why to this day 
the salmon has so pointed a tail. The next time you see a salmon, you must notice this, and remember that he may be a great-great-great-grand descendant of Loki. So Loki was captured and changed back into his own shape, sullen and fierce. But he had no word of sorrow for his evil deeds, nor did he ask for mercy, for he knew that it would be in vain. He kept silent while the Asir led him all the weary way back to Asgard. Now, the whole world was noisy with the triumph of his capture. As the procession passed along, it was joined by all the creatures who had mourned for Balder, all the creatures who longed to see Loki punished. There were the men of Midgard, the place of human folk, shouting, Kill him! Kill him! at the top of their lungs. There were armies of little mountain dwarfs in their brown peaked caps, who hobbled along prodding Loki with their picks. There were beasts growling and showing their teeth as if they longed to tear Loki into pieces. There were birds who tried to peck his eyes, insects who came in clouds to sting him, and serpents that sprang up hissing at his feet to poison him with their deadly bite. But to all these, Thor said, Do not kill the fellow. We are keeping him for a worse punishment than you can give. So the creatures merely followed and jostled Loki into Asgard, shouting, screaming, howling, growling, barking, roaring, spitting, squeaking, hissing, croaking, and buzzing, according to their different ways of showing hatred and horror. The Asir met on Ida Plain to decide what should be done with Loki. There were Eden, whom he had cheated, and Sif, whose hair he had cut off. There were Freya, whose falcon dress he had stolen, and Thor, whom he had tried to kill. There were Hud, whom he had made a murderer. Frigg and Odin, whose son he had slain. There was not one of them whom Loki had not injured in some way. And besides, there was the whole world into which he had brought sorrow and darkness. For the sake of all these, Loki must be punished but it was hard to think of any doom heavy enough for him. At last, however, they agreed upon a punishment which they thought suited to so wicked a wretch. 
the long procession formed again and escorted Loki down, down into a damp cavern underground. Here sunlight never came, but the cave was full of ugly toads, snakes, and insects that love the dark. These were Loki's evil thoughts, who were to live with him henceforth and torment him always. In this prison chamber, side by side, they placed three sharp stones, not far apart, to make an uneasy bed. And these were for Loki's three worst deeds, against Thor and Hud and Balder. Upon these rocks they bound Loki with stout thongs of leather. But as soon as the cords were fastened, they turned into iron bands, so that no one, though he had the strength of a hundred giants, could loosen them. For these were Loki's evil passions, and the more he strained against them, the more they cut into him and wounded him until he howled with pain. Over his head, Skadi, whose father he had helped to slay, hung a venomous, wriggling serpent from whose mouth dropped poison into Loki's face, which burned and stung him like fire. And this was the deceit which all his life Loki had spoken to draw folk into trouble and danger. At last it had turned about to torture him, as deceit always will do to him who utters it. Yet from this one torment, Loki had some relief. For all alone in the world, Sigyn, his wife, was faithful and forgiving. She stood by the head of the painful bed upon which the Red One was stretched, and held a bowl to catch the poison which dropped from the serpent's jaws, so that some of it did not reach Loki's face. But as soon as the bowl became full, Sigyn had to go out and empty it, and then the bitter drops fell and burned till Loki made the cavern ring with his cries. So this was Loki's punishment, and bad enough it was, but not too bad for such a monster. Under the caverns he lies there still, struggling to be free. And when his great strength shakes the hills so that the whole ground trembles, men call it an earthquake. Sometimes they even see his poisonous breath blowing from the top of a mountain chimney. And amid it the red flame of wickedness, which burns in Loki's heart. Then all cry, the volcano, the volcano, 
and run away as fast as they can. For Loki, poisoned though he is, is still dangerous and full of mischief, and it is not good to venture near him in his torment. But there for his sins he must bide and suffer, suffer and bide, until the end of all sorrow and suffering shall come, with Ragnarok, the ending of the world. Good night.